John 15. Uh, the announcement wasn't made, but most of y'all probably already know, though. Uh, if uh, you have a child that's nursery age that you want them to go to the nursery, it's not a requirement at all. We love having kids in the room, but if uh, you want a, a few moments to yourself uh, for some adult-level Bible teaching, we've got some nursery space over there, and so now's a good time to take them over there because we have workers in that space right now. Um, John chapter 15, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to have the text up on the screen behind me in a little bit. We also, though, have uh, some physical Bibles in the little uh, racks underneath the chairs. Uh, we, I love it when people pull out a physical Bible. Maybe you're that type, too. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly convenient uh, to pull uh, some verses out of the context of the whole and throw them up on the screen for everybody to see, but it also can be incredibly dangerous. And so if you want to check me on that kind of stuff and have the, the Bible in front of you, that's always good for me, and I encourage you to do so. Um, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd love for you to take that one home. Uh, we value God's Word here. We believe that it has the ability to convict of sin and draw people to repentance. We believe that it uh, is the primary means by which God reveals himself to a fallen world. We believe that it's effectual and does what whatever God calls, uh, wants for it to do. And so if you don't have a Bible outside of this place, please, 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 please take that one. Now, if you do have a Bible, don't be a jerk and take ours. Just the ones who don't have a Bible. Um, also, I keep saying this, and y'all think I'm joking, but we have a lost and found in the hallway, and there's all kinds of really nice ones out there, and they're just sitting in a, in a Rubbermaid box right now. Scratch the name off and go get you a good Bible. All right? Maybe I have to do something with the dedication page, too, but I don't know. You can get a pair of scissors and fix that. Y'all think I'm joking. They're Bibles. They're nice ones. They're in there. Go take them. All right. So it's now June. Uh, we are rolling through a series that we've been in since January. All right. And I told y'all before uh, that we're going to be starting something new in July. We're going to be uh, uh, doing a, a series through the book of Ephesians. It's my favorite book of the Bible. Some of you already know that very well. Uh, I have made a dedicated effort the last several weeks not to preach out of Ephesians so that I could, like, like just get ready for that. Um, but it's not July yet. So we've got a few more weeks that we want to roll out a few more words. And so uh, we've talked about uh, all kinds of stuff. The premise of the series is incredibly simple. We're just defining major vocabulary words in the life of the church. Words that when they're thrown out, they're supposed to carry some kind of weight, supposed to carry some kind of meaning. And so um, we've talked about some great stuff. We talked about the gospel. We talked about scripture. We've talked about mission. We talked about worldview. Last week, we talked about mission for the second time. All right, if you remember... Um, the first time we talked about mission, we, we framed it within the context of obligation, right? And we pointed to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, our Lord Jesus, the one who is in charge and gets to make all the rules, said, go make disciples of all nations or go make other followers of Jesus, right? So the church, we said it this way, has one job to do. And so the first time we looked at missions, we framed it within the, uh, within the confines of obligation. And obligation is a correct way to talk about mission because Jesus is Lord and he's the boss, right? But mission doesn't only exist in the realm of obligation. No, 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 that's not even in the driver's seat. What is in the driver's seat is joy. That God has designed this world to work in such a way that when we join up with him and do what he's told us to do, we experience a depth of living, a depth of joy that goes far beyond anything else this world has to offer. And we looked at the man in search of fine pearls who was pleased to buy. Looked at the man of the, that was walking through the field, and he stumbled across a treasure, and then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has so he can buy that field and get the treasure. Mission and joy go hand in hand, we said. So we've got a few more weeks that we want to roll out, a few more words. And so our word for this week is prayer. Prayer. 
That one kind of makes sense, right? If we're going to define vocabulary words in the life of the church, maybe prayer is one that fits kind of nicely into the lexicon of words that you should probably be hearing from time to time around here, right? If not, there's an issue. Prayer. But isn't it also kind of simple? Like, aren't, aren't some of us going, do we really need to spend our time defining prayer? If you're a visitor here or you just haven't been here very long, that's a trap. The answer is yes. We absolutely need to spend our time defining prayer. But, but not just because we're defining everything, although we are doing that, but also because prayer may just be the most misunderstood, simple thing in the life of the church. Right? Yeah. Prayer is kind of intimidating sometimes, right? There are several of y'all who are incredibly confident and competent in all kinds of things in this world. You can run organizations. You can lead people. You can do this. You can do that. But if I asked you to stand in front of people and pray, you would, like, fall into the fetal position. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> no. Prayer can be incredibly intimidating. Prayer can also be something that's hijacked, right? For grandstanding or gossip or countless other unholy things. I mean, have you ever been in the room like I have where the thing that probably should never have been made public is instead prayed about in an incredibly public way and the tone is just dripping with gossip? Yeah, prayer gets hijacked sometimes, right? So maybe it's in our best interest, that, an interest that goes well beyond just defining the words that we'll use to have a pretty locked down definition of what prayer is, right? Yeah. So, when I say prayer, I want you to be thinking abide. Abide. Prayer may be a simple thing, but it's, it's also a deep thing. John chapter 15. Uh, John's gospel account is, for lack of a better term, just different. All right? Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels. They kind of see you with a, a unifying voice. They, they have different audiences and different goals, and so they tell the story in their own kind of unique way. Uh, Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection. Uh, they kind of tell the story in their own unique ways, but there's a lot of unity there. And so they kind of have this kind of unified voice. That's why we call them synoptic, right? But John, John is different, all right? Just different, all right? And so he doesn't have the same kind of mindset that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have. And so uh, he gives us a lot of details that the other three don't give, especially in the last few days of Jesus's life, all right? Um, so John dedicates several chapters uh, in the middle of his account uh, to uh, things that happened just before, during, and just after uh, the Last Supper meal, uh, that we see the night that Jesus was arrested, okay? That the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, just, just don't seem to be interested in, all right? And in Matthew, sorry, not Matthew, in John 15, one of the things that we get spelled out for us is what we call the true vine discourse, all right? And so you probably heard it before if you spent any time in church. Let's look at it, verse one. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay, so let's call a timeout. Jesus begins uh, this, this little narrative, the true vine discourse, by painting a mental picture for his disciples of uh, a vine and some branches. And already we've got a little bit of some confusion because that's not something that really computes to me in my world. And maybe it's the same for you. So I'm from southeast Texas, and so when I think branch, I think oak tree. Anybody else? Sweet gumball, more specifically. All right? Those things hurt. By the way, I used to throw those at my brother, if you ever know what those are. Best. Never mind. All right. So because of the culture I grew up in, when I think branch, I think big, sturdy tree. All right? And when I think vine, like on a good day, it's this meek little plant that, if it's really healthy, is crept up the side of your house. Right? That's the picture that I get in my head when people start talking about branches and vines. But this ain't southeast Texas in 1992, right? This is first century Judea. And so what are they thinking when they hear vines and branches? Grapes and olives, right? We're not talking oak trees and ivy. We're talking grapes and olives. Well then, that makes a little more sense, right? Because if you've ever seen a a grapevine, the vine is, is not this little meager thing hanging off the end. No, the vine is the structure of the plant, right? And if tended to and kept healthy, nurtured, that vine becomes something to be reckoned with. It becomes like a tree trunk, right? It supports everything else. And then the branches are these little things that hang off the vine that the fruit hangs on, right? So that's the picture that they're immediately grabbing a hold of. Jesus is a a perfectly wise teacher, and he uses a picture that they would have immediately grabbed onto, right? He's not using it for us, although it applies to us. No, he's teaching his his boys in front of him, right? So he says, no, 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 no. I'm the vine, and you are the branches. You you abide in me, stay connected to me. You're going to bear fruit. The branches draw their life and their energy and everything from the vine. And if they're not connected to the vine, that branch dies, right? He throws in the picture of the father being the vine dresser who lops off dead branches and prunes less than fully productive ones in order to make a tree more healthy and fruitful, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I don't, I don't think very many people in our world are going, I don't get it. Jesus paints a picture, says, I am the, the one who provides life, and I am the one who provides sustenance, and I am the one who provides this and that, and you are connected to me, and if you're not connected to me, you don't get life, right? I think we all grab a hold of that picture, right? But what in the world does that have to do with prayer, right? Well, what does verse 7 say? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. All right, let's pack it up and go home. Does that that need to be defined? Do we need to spend some time on that? 
Jesus, just say, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Is he allowed to say that? You think he's lying? So if he's being truthful, and he's allowed to say it, think it's hyperbole? Or is that some kind of blanket promise? I think it's a blanket promise, right? So if, if Jesus isn't lying, and he's got the right to say that, and it's not hyperbole, Are we paying attention to that reality? That the creator and sustainer of all things just looked at his guys and said, Jesus is coming back soon, man. <laughs> he didn't say that then, but it's coming. All right. No, no, follow me here. That he who holds the universe together, every molecule in you and I, he who is actively sustaining all things, just looked to them in the eye and said, hey, ask me for whatever you want, it's yours. We're paying attention to this reality this morning. This maybe should shake us a little bit. But, but this, but that, but I, I get it that it's, I get that it's in us to try to quantify and qualify, to, to throw out the disclaimers and the yeah buts, but are we paying attention to the reality that God can actually deliver on these promises? So let's look at the qualifier, right? What does the first part of verse 7 say? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. It would seem that it's in our best interest to make some pretty good sense of what it means to abide, doesn't it? Right? Nah, I don't have time for that. <laughs> it, it's probably a good idea to spend some time unpacking that, right? So, what does it mean to abide? And what's the picture that Jesus has already given us? The vine and the branches, right? They draw their life from the vine. They are fruitful because of the vine. They are connected to the vine. So much so that to be disconnected from the vine, they wither, shrivel up, die, thrown into the fire. Abide means to live in, right? I'm a millennial um, that, that affects some things about the way I see the world and the way I attack things in the world. Um, one of those things is I use the internet for a lot of stuff. And so when I need a definition of a word, I don't pull a big book off the shelf. What do I do? Google, all right? <laughs> That's how my brain works. And because I carry it in my pocket, I Google lots of stuff, all right? So if you Google the word abide, It'll come up with definitions, right? And sometimes Google writes uh, code into their search algorithms so that the definition will actually come up in a little pane so you don't actually have to click on a website, which is really convenient, but also making me lazy because if it's not in the little box, then I get really, uh, never mind. All right. Some things the millennials have done are good. Some things are just terrible. All right. If you go to Google and you look for the definition of abide. You're going to get all kinds of definitions, three that kind of hit towards the top. 
And I was a little disappointed in what Google gave me because they all had a negative tone. Like, when you come across the word abide in our culture, how, what does it usually connotate? Uh, not really agreeing. I'm going to put up with something for a little while, right? There's a negative tone in there. It's not that I'm going to uh, enjoy this. I'm going to allow it for a while. There's a negative sense to the word, all right? Is Jesus talking in a negative sense here? Not even close. So what's happened? What's happened is that words all over the place always morph and shift over time, right? In a culture, as a culture uses a word this way and then starts or stops using words in certain ways, the meaning or definition of a word will shift over time. And so when modern translations, uh, English translations, started using the word abide here, it didn't have a negative tone to it. You want, you want to know what the, the more ancient definition of abide means? To present tense live in something. That's what it means. You know, anybody want to guess what the word for the past tense living in something was? Abode. When you think abode, you think of what? House, right? So that one shifted too. But when modern translations started using this word... That's not what it meant. It didn't have a negative tone to it. That's why some of your English translations will say live in or remain in, right? If you've got an NIV, I think it says remain. Right? Now, what happened is those translators just kind of jumped ship and used a word that was more impactful for the culture. I have more of a stick it to them kind of personality. So, I'm going to take the word back. They don't get to have that. Abide means live in, all right? That's what it means. Not put up with, we're going to say that it means live in. All right, so when you come to abide in the scriptures, active, present tense, live in something. Keep that in the front of your mind. How many of y'all have been living in the same house for more than just a few years? How many for more than 10 years? How many for more than 20? How many for more than 30? This is going to be a game now. How many for more than 40? How many for more than 45? 50. We got a winner. All right. Do you find yourself on a daily basis learning new things about your house? No, that's stuff that's happened that you need repair on, right? But I'm talking about stuff that has been there since before you moved in that you just never noticed. Now, you, you probably have stuff that you forgot that you did over the last 50 years. But stuff that's been there all along for 50 years and you just never come across it? Probably not. I was sitting at my kitchen table. For those of you who have been in my house, you kind of know the scene. I was sitting at my kitchen table the other day, eating a sandwich, staring at a pantry door that I've stared at over 100 times already. And I look up and I see a screw on the back of the door. Anybody else had a moment like that? I have lots of moments like that. We've been in our house for a staggering six months now. All right? A screw on the back of the door. And I had that moment that probably every one of us have had at some point. Like, what? How'd that get there? And so the adventure was afoot. I put my sandwich down. I stand up. I look at the door. I start messing with the screw. It's got a couple layers of paint on it, so it definitely wasn't put there by, like, Katie or somebody. Uh, it, it's been there the whole time. I've stared at that door, and I've never noticed the screw. It was kind of in this top right corner. And so I look over to the top left. Hey, 
there's another screw. I think they probably hung a calendar or something from there. I, I don't know. I am learning our house. There's big things that I'm learning, and then there's these little tiny things that I'm learning, right? And the longer you have experience with something, the less often those occurrences happen, right? Are there other things in our culture that do the same thing? Yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of things. It's like, that's why we have sayings like, I know it like the back of my hand. Yeah, we all have things in our life. Sometimes that's, that's the case with people, right? How many of you have a, uh, maybe it's a sibling or a friend that you just know them inside and out? You know how they think, how they see the world. You understand what it is they value and what they chase after. You can probably say that you've influenced each other in what you value and chase after, right? You ever, you ever seen people that were just so attached at the hip they were finishing each other's sentences? Those people annoy me. Mostly because I don't have friends. <laughs> there are probably people in your life, or maybe there are people in your life, that have so influenced you, and you've so influenced them, that you have affected how each other see the world. What do you think it looks like to be so connected with Jesus that you actually see what he sees, and thinks what he thinks, and values what he values? Is that possible? He said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. Abiding in Jesus means that we end up looking so much like Jesus that the things he values actually becomes the things we value. And the things that he wants ends up becoming the things that we want. You might want to take a giant leap and guess what happens when we ask God for stuff that he already wants? I've got two small kids in my house right now, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. This may come as a shock to you, but two-year-olds and four-year-olds don't feel too many qualms about asking for stuff. Um, constantly. I'm appalled at. All right? One of the things that we do at the Woodard House is uh, watch movies. Uh, it's just something that we like to do. It's a way that we relax. We own 10 times more movies than we really ought to. Um, and so we watch a lot of movies at the house. And uh, uh, tonight when we're hanging out at the house in the living room, uh, the kids are probably going to want to watch a movie. And because they're two-year-olds and four-year-olds, they're going to want to watch a movie that we've seen over and over and over again. <laughs> and so if my children come to me tonight and they asked to watch Moana or Trolls for what could literally be the hundredth time in the last week, I'm going to say no because I'm tired of Moana and Trolls for a while. But my kids also like Star Wars. And Will, in his little two-year-old way, can kind of say Star Wars. That's all he gets. Man, it's cute. If Will comes up to me and Paul's at me, Star Wars! Not only am I going to say yes, I'm going to get the ice cream out. <laughs> right? We, we are going to have a good time tonight. Now, some of y'all feed him some lines and maybe we'll watch some Star Wars tonight. Now, we're going to have a good time. I'm going to delight that he came to me and asked, right? 
I am excited that he would come to me with that request. Jesus says, when you abide in me, ask for whatever you want. And it's because that abiding produces something in you, right? That you look like him and think like him and talk like him and ask for the things that he already wants. And and so, listen, it's not some overextension for Jesus to say, hey, abide in me and just ask. No, 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 no. When you truly abide, you're asking for the things that excite his heart. He didn't have to put himself out there. No, he is pleased to bestow upon you the thing you ask for. Let's celebrate and have a good time with it. Right? When I say prayer, I want you to be thinking abide. We too often overthink this stuff, right? Prayer is not a measure of your piety and it's not something that really matters to the people around you. First and foremost, it is a relationship between you and your creator where he is turning you to look more and more like him and equipping you to do the things he wants you to do. That's what prayer is. And to see it as something other than that, as an opportunity to grandstand or show yourself off or this or that or try to point people in these other directions, we make it too much. We make it way too complicated, right? But we've also got four more verses left in our paragraph. Jesus is going to flesh out some natural questions that come from this. And I'll give you a hint. None of them are going to be anything new to you if you've been here for a while. So, here's a question that comes up. Why does the Father allow the Son to make this promise? We'll look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It's ultimately about mission, right? Jesus is allowed, the the Son is allowed by the Father to make this kind of promise because it's ultimately about you being a fulfillment of everything God wants you to be, right? This is a missions, disciple-making-centered kind of thing, right? What about another question? Why would Jesus want to use us in fruitful ministry? Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, or verse 9, excuse me, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. God loves us and he invites us along to his work, right? That's something we've heard in here before. How do we pursue abiding in Jesus and having his word abiding in us? Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will what? Abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. If you're a follower of Jesus, open up his word, chase after knowing him, and do what he says. Structure your life and lifestyle around your new identity he gives you, right? That's how you abide in him. What's in the driver's seat of all this? 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. So we said last week that the driving factor behind mission is joy. That God has designed for us to walk in. Abiding in Jesus, a relationship that is fully supplied for the things he calls you to, is about you getting more and more and more joy. We don't abide in Jesus because that's the key for us to get what we want. 
We abide in Jesus because that's where joy is found. And he is pleased to give us all things when we do. That's where joy is found. When I say prayer, I want you to be thinking, abide. So how do we respond to God's word this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus, our response is to press into a God who is neither impressed with your surface-level piety nor judging you for your meek efforts in approaching him. I mean, isn't that usually the hang-up for all of us? You, you really think you can fool God with a surface-level anything? Do you really think the one who is bigger and more holy and perfectly just and good and righteous is impressed or somehow let down when you don't have enough to come to him in perfection? He knows. It's not going to be a shock to him that your feeble efforts are feeble. Like, I've got two kids at the house, like I've been telling you. There are things that I want them to do that are just beyond them. It is not good for me to expect certain things from my four-year-old. She just doesn't have the capacity for it, right? Think God's a better dad than I am? Yeah. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, when we, we start to get into our own heads about, uh, I can't do this or I can't do that, or we try to put on a show of this or that, maybe he's big enough and loving enough to see through your facade and to love you in spite of your failures. So just come to him. Instead of making it complicated, why don't we just do and trust that he is good, right? If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you press into him. And when you press into him, you begin to look more and more like him. And in that moment, not only are you being shaped to ask for things that are consistent with what he wants for you, but you're asking in a way that excites his hearts and his affections for you. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I'm glad you're here. This is, a, I hope, a safe place for you to work through the truth claims of who Jesus is and what he's done. Abiding with him starts somewhere. So for you this morning, I would say that relationship that's continual and perpetual and eternal, that grows and builds and flourishes, it has a starting point. So maybe you're here this morning for the very first time, you want to come to Jesus as Lord. You do that by uh, seeing that your sin has separated him from, you from him. You repent of that sin. You confess him as Lord. The Bible says that he is pleased to make you his when he does that. In a second, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. It'll be your opportunity to respond. We'll have some people down at the front if you want somebody to talk to. But listen, a God who is big enough to talk with you on a heart level, who, who is, loves you and wants you to abide in him, he doesn't need a mediator. He'll connect with you right where you're sitting. If you want somebody to talk to, we'll have some people to talk to. Maybe you're here this morning for the very first time and you say, yeah, that's what I want. Let's flesh that out.
Let's pray. Father God, you were good to us. Thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our failures, of our attempts to make ourselves appear more than we are and for our failures to jump in because of some kind of intimidation. God, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for... God, thank you for... Thank you for the, your words about the true vine, God. That you are a God who is near. You are not distant. You are not separated from us. You are not sitting on a faraway throne, frustrated that we can't figure it out. No, you are here. You are with us. You give us life and breath and everything. God, for those here who don't know you this morning, would you draw them to yourself? Would you make yourself known to those who don't know you yet? So they may walk with you, abide in you. God, would you give our prayers courage this morning? Would you help us trust that you are big and that you are good and that you are loving? Would you help us see that you are not only easy to come to, but Joy saturated when we come to you. That you are excited when we come to you. And that you give us joy that is incomprehensible. So in your name we pray. Amen.